So the verse we're going to be looking at today is from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, which says, Therefore, having this ministry by the grace of God, we do not lose heart. In spite of those who had rejected the gospel, Paul does not want any of us to lose heart in his ministry because through it, God is bringing about the beginning of the new creation among this fallen world. Like, what does Paul mean by saying, do not lose heart? Like this, we've all gone through COVID. We're all here. Some of us have survived, some of us didn't. We've seen the devastating effect of it. But at this moment, we need to rise. Like the whole motto has been rise, right? Get up. But we can't lose heart. So what is Paul saying when we say do not lose heart? And this point is further explained in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 29 to 30. When Paul goes about listing all the things that he will foolishly boast about when compared to the false prophets who are saying they've done this, they've done this, they've done this. It's not for the recognition of what we do. It's about the ministry of God that we are here as God's children all of us have a ministry in us, in the way we do things, in the way we meet people, in the way we work within the community. Paul is saying that he is a madman for saying that he is better than servant of Christ than all these false teachers. Paul's reasons for doing this isn't about to brag about himself but to contrast his actions with those of the false teachers. You need to understand, at the time in Corinth, there were many people who claimed that they knew the Lord, that they were filled by the Spirit. There's a time when we need to be careful of what we take in. And Paul is saying, listen, I am not like one of those. Yes, Paul is not the best example. He was the chief persecutor of the Christians. But the Lord had something, a change in him. He changed him. And through Paul, through his ministry, so many have been saved and so many communities have developed. Faith rose in all these places. When Paul actually begins boasting, he mostly makes a list of all his iniquities. All the times when he has faced lashes or faced punishment or getting thrown out of places. He's saying he's experienced all of these things because he has faith in Christ. This ministry that he's doing is for Christ. It's not for himself. It's not Paul's doing this. We all of us here are filled by the Holy Spirit to lead and go out. Matthew 28, the Great Commission, as we saw in the leadership conference, it is to reach the word of God to those who are around us. It is to reach those who haven't heard it before. One of the things why Paul is saying this is, all these terrible lists, you need to understand, in Corinth, people over there only cared about the good things. They only cared about what's good about you, your privileged status, the strengths, your position. If they saw Paul's list in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, it sounds like all weaknesses and failure. But Paul's not talking about failure. We do not lose heart because we are doing this ministry for Christ. 
Now, a little bit about tribal transformation in India. Why this message today, when I'm speaking to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, why does this reflect in the message of tribal transformation in India? Because we face a lot of opposition and persecution. Because Christianity is viewed as a foreign religion. Though Christianity has been in India for a very long time. But it's viewed as a foreign religion. It's viewed as an outsider. When you come from a country which is predominantly Hindu, here's an interesting thing. Close to 5% of the entire population, that's a billion and one, are Christian. The word of God is reaching and it's moving in your midst. And we worship you. The authorities want to amend Article 25. So I will give you a little history about India. The Article 25 is basically freedom to choose your religion. They want to make an amendment saying you do not have a free choice. They're doing this through passing anti-conversion bills. We'll get to that point. Can you imagine a place where you do not have a free choice to choose your religion? Can you imagine a situation where you don't have the freedom to choose the opportunity to be accepted into the family of God? To be accepted in a community where you are welcome no matter who you are, where you're from or what you do. The love of God transcends all these barriers. But the authorities are saying, no, you do not get a free choice. They do not want the marginalized groups. Now, it's not the better term, but the marginalized groups are basically the untouchables. There is still caste system in India. They do not want the untouchables to have an identity, to have a belonging, to be part of a family where Christ welcomes them in. They do not want them to be in with the children of God. Now, tribal transformation in India, we work among them. We work among the untouchables. We work among the marginalized groups because our motto has always been reaching the unreached. About sharing the word of God with those who cannot help themselves. About giving strength to those who have been weak. When the society puts them down, we want to share the word out because that is what our ministry is. Christ has called us to reach to those who cannot save themselves. It's about giving them self-identity a dignity, and a breath of fresh air from the oppression that they are facing. For the past 27 years, we've been there since 1994, our aim has been reaching the unreached, both through evangelical work as well as working within the community. And the focus is not just about, let's just do the word of God and go. It's about developing within them a foundation of growth. For all of us here, there's a church building. But our foundation at the end of the day is in the word of God. Our ministry, our words, the way we are, is an example and a blueprint of what Jesus taught us. The way to live a Christian life. A little bit about tribal transformation, how we're doing community work. So we've had a daycare center. It was started in 1998. So now why is there a daycare center and why does it matter? So we work among impoverished people, right? So 
most of the women are single parents. They would have been married at the age of 18. By the age of 24, they're widows with about two or three kids. They work as day laborers. They work for maybe a pound or less for a day. And we have a daycare center which looks after these children from nine in the morning to four. This is in Yalapur, one of our mission fields. We look after the kids. We are teaching them English, the local language, and arithmetics. We're giving them a foundation. We're giving them a holistic development. They get fed a midday meal, and we wait till their parents come to take them. Now, in 2004, the authorities say, I'm standing here. This is our crash. Say, where the camera is, the authorities went and built another daycare center there. And they said, all the children from our crash have to go there. And we said, fine, we don't want to. You have to respect the authority. We, we sent them across. They went. But within a month, they all came back. Them and their parents came back saying, we are receiving a holistic learning. We, our kids are growing, not just both spiritually, but mentally and physically. They're being taken care of. They're being shown love. They've been shown compassion. They've been shown things can become better. So the authorities said, okay, fine. From the ages of one to five, they can come to your daycare center. And then after that, they can come here to the school. So we're building a foundation. One thing you need to realize is one of the teachers is a Muslim. Her name is Razia Begum. We have children of all religions. We're not saying no one can come in. We're saying everyone is welcome because we're building those communities. It's faith rising within the community. And the community leaders have seen this change. They come for the Christmas program. They're there for Good Friday. They're there for Easter. They're there during church services. And through that, we have been able to save lives. Because in India, you do not want forced conversion. That's the rule. Another project that we are involved in is called the Adult Literacy Program. Which is focused on empowering women. Because they are the most marginalized section of the society. Because like I said, by the age of 24 or 23, they're widows. And one of the reasons they're widows is, you need to understand, their husbands are also working in, like they say, the construction sites, in the quarry, on the field, 12 to 14 hours, 16 hours a day. And most of them pass away through alcoholism. And this is not your bottle of Merlot or Melbeck or your beer. It's through Indian moonshine. Now, Indian moonshine is a mix of battery acid, rat poison, and other things, which gives you the quickest of highs, but also erodes everything on the inside. So these, these women would be without anything. And then you'll have a landowner. She has a small plot of land, say, from here to here. That's the piece of land. So the landowner, knowing that she works for a pound a day, say, I'll offer you five pounds for that piece knowing that it is like 10 times the value, but I'll offer you five. She wants to feed her children, so she's getting an increase. But So we're working among these women by teaching them to read, teaching them to count, teaching them how to build a foundation. And this is done by a missionary worker, Shobha Kulkarni, who's working among the women, and another church member in Masur called Channamma, who has painted a wall in her house completely blue so it can look like a classroom board. And they sit with a group of maybe four or five, focusing on developing them. There's prayer. They come to the church. 
There's also a tailoring program so that they can have some different skills that they can use so they don't have to be stuck in a job where they're working 15, 16 hours. Now, over the past few years, why this is important is the authorities have been trying to implement the anti-conversion bill throughout India. Now, in 28 states in India, 11 have already passed the anti-conversion bill. So what does the anti-conversion bill mean? They want the marginalized, they want the oppressed to be staying down. If they come and become Christian, if the ministry is supposed to flourish, they say, no, you will lose all your benefits. You will lose all your benefits. And one of the reasons why this is happening is there has been a rapid explosion of Christian activity. House churches has been growing. We spoke about groups. There have been groups growing. Just in Bangalore, the city that I'm from, from lockdown, the second lockdown, till now, close to 5,000 house churches have grown in the midst of opportunity. The ministry is growing, so we are not losing heart. We need to administer to these people. The community here is growing. Yes, change has come, but through this change, we all strive forward together in the word of God, led by the Spirit to administer God's word to those who haven't felt his love, his care, his compassion. That's what the Lord calls us to do. That's what Paul is saying here. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, do not lose heart, do not lose hope. But the authorities want to clamp down on these house churches. They're saying you need to prove you are registered. You need to show a registration that you're allowed to conduct worship. Where two or three are gathered in the Lord's name, they want to stop that. Like, I know there's a coffee shop down there which has a service on Sunday. If that was in India, that wouldn't have happened. If you're a coffee shop, you stay a coffee shop. Cannot do anything more. They want churches to be registered. They want pastors and vicars to have an education certificate saying that they've done their qualification. One thing you need to realize is most of these people who are working, who are ministering to these people, are coming from a semi-literate background. They have been led by the Spirit. They have been led by experiencing Jesus in their life, having God's work in their life, and they want to minister to people. But the authorities are saying, no, you need to prove that you have a certificate, that you've done the qualification. They're not letting the work of the Holy Spirit. They're trying to clamp down. This is the same thing that's happening in China. But this doesn't make the news. Boris Johnson was just recently in India, but this didn't make the news. Because again, like I said, there's a billion and one reasons. This is not an important thing. So if you don't have a correct paperwork as a pastor, you are beaten up, you are thrown in jail, you, are, you can face up to 10 years in jail without seeing a court, without an appeal. But we still strive forward, we still continue, we still go and minister to those who haven't heard the word of God.
But even among these restrictions, we are finding ways not just to share the gospel, but also to win lives and build the community up. I'd met Martin recently and I said, I like the vision of the church, but I'll make one tweak. It would be faith rise, church rise, community rise. Because that's something that we do in India because you need community to grow and flourish and not just look at a few, but look at the entire spectrum. And one of these ways that we were able to do this, so COVID, the first wave, I was here, I was helping with the food bank. COVID, second wave, that's when it hit India. That's when you were afraid to receive phone calls because you didn't know who passed away. I've had a friend who was 24, he passed away because he didn't take the vaccine and others. So during the second wave, we did this project called Project Good Samaritan. Saw a little bit of that. It was focused on mission hospitals. These hospitals were started in the early 1900s by medical missionaries who had come to India to help. We focused on three mission hospitals. One was the CSI hospital in Chikpalapur, which was started by a Scottish missionary. The other hospital was the Lombard Hospital in Ulpi, which was started by Eva Lombard. It was dealing with pediatric. At that time, you only had men. The women had to go see men, and it wasn't very comfortable. A lot of people died during childbirth. And then the other hospital was the Holdsworth Memorial Hospital, which was started by Mary Holdsworth, an English medical missionary. These hospitals on a day-to-day -day basis were dealing with around, the Chikpalapur Hospital had about 150 to 200 COVID patients a day. The hospital in Urpi, the Lombard Hospital, was dealing with about 900 patients a day. And the hospital in Mysore was having close to 1,500 patients. We wanted to work, do something within the authorities, with the authorities at a government hospital. But that wasn't possible. Because in Chikparapur, when the second wave hit, within seven hours, 27 people passed away because there was no oxygen. Because oxygen at the time, you had to pay an arm and a leg to get oxygen. We were able to raise support of 5,000 to 6,000 pounds to this project through the Friends of TTI, to people over here for raising the money for this. And we were able to also distribute food kits to 750 families. Just the basic things. It's all of these things. There are a lot of things that's not just happening here, but also if you look at in Ukraine. I'm not comparing India and Ukraine. But you hear about how they are praying and worshipping in the subways. How that the word of God is continuing to grow, that they are not losing heart. It's the same thing in India. It's the same thing even here. We all have been given this opportunity, this gift by God, each and every one of us here. So we need to strive forward. We need to focus not just on ourselves, but the community. It's not me and you. It is we together. That togetherness is what Paul is trying to say here. This is the given to us by God. And we should not lose heart. Yes, things are difficult. But even through those difficulties, the Lord has not left our hand. One of the things that we focus at Tribal Transformation India is about accountability, about stewardship, and about sustainability. Because we don't want to say, yes, we do this project and leave you. It is, we are with you. When you take that jump, we are with you. 
but we want you to improve on the foundation. And we all have this foundation in the word of God. And we all can continue to grow. So, before I close, in this journey, we want you to be partners in prayer, in support, if the Lord leads you and this church. And if you want to know more, there's a, there are these leaflets at the back, and I'm also around. You can talk to me. Yeah. Like, I've been part of this church now, what, 2019, and I'm still, I can see a lot of familiar faces, a lot of new faces, but St. Mark's has always been a family to me. Yes, things aren't safe, things aren't comfortable, but even in those uncomfortable situations, we do not rest on our laurels. Because it's not for us who are doing it, we are doing it for the Lord. And we are committed, as Paul says, we do not lose heart. And I, I urge all of you, you might be going like how Emily mentioned about the shipwreck. The church has always been a beacon of light. It is a lighthouse to those who might be feeling as such. So we together have to come as one, as a united front and say we do not lose heart. And I ask all of you to pray that we at Tribal Transformation India to continue this work for him. We're not afraid of going to jail. We're not afraid of what happens. Because at the end of the day, it's not my work who's doing it. It's the Lord's work that's getting done. Thank you. Amen.